Garcia, there's a swing and a deep drive. Left field. Dean will look up, and it's long gone to the back of the Braves bullpen. Dansby Swanson, a solo home run. I got chills from that one. Ronald Acuna with a monster shot over the hitter's eye and straight center field. Swing and a ground ball to the middle. Base hit center field. Coming in to score is Desloni, and that's a Mississippi Braves winner. Welcome back to the Big Show Podcast, as today we're going to focus on Mississippi baseball with one of the, well, he's a legend in my mind and should be in a lot of folks' mind when it comes to Mississippi baseball, and that is former Jackson Met, former New York Met, part of that 1986 World Champion Mets team, Barry Lyons, who hails from Biloxi, Mississippi. We record this podcast here in Biloxi, Mississippi, where he is from and was huge in bringing baseball to Biloxi, spearheading uh, a lot of the efforts over the last uh, three decades, really, to bring baseball here to his hometown of Biloxi, Mississippi. And Barry, uh, nobody better, uh, just a handful of people I can imagine, to talk baseball in the state of Mississippi, and you're one of those people. Well, I'm honored to be on with you, Chris, and certainly baseball in Mississippi has always had a, a, a strong legacy and great players dating back to Dave Boo Ferris and Cool Papa Bell and other guys such as that, but uh, it's uh, a long history, and certainly I'm honored to be a part of that history of Mississippians that have gone on to the big leagues and made their mark and uh, come back home and, and did things uh, to uh, enhance baseball uh, in their hometowns, and certainly that's something that uh, has been huge for me and, and something that I wanted to uh, leave as a legacy long after I'm gone. And the MGM Park and the Bluxy Shuckers certainly uh, fits into that. And I just give God the glory and so thankful for my career in baseball and, and all the good that has brought to me. When you think of Mississippi and, and you think of college football, you think of Mississippi State Ole Miss, but I'll always believe that Mississippi is a baseball state at heart. There's not many states in baseball where you can go to three uh, Division One NCAA programs and see darn near sellouts every single night. Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, Ole Miss in Oxford, and of course Mississippi State at Duty Noble. This state loves baseball. Am I wrong on that, that this is truly a baseball state? You'll have arguments from those diehard football fans, no question about it, but no, in, in the in, in the grand scheme of things, yes, this is a baseball state. Is is and always has been, as far as I'm concerned. And the names that we've mentioned, and there's so many others that uh, Donnie Kessinger, Jake Gibbs, big league guys from Ole Miss, and and uh, of course uh, Thick Penn and and Will Clark and Rafael Palmero and Jeff Brantley from Mississippi mm -hmm. State, to name a few more. Maybe not born here, but uh, played for one of the three great universities, or. We have numerous other smaller colleges, such as Delta State, where I was fortunate to play under Dave Boo Ferris, William Carey College, Bellhaven College. Mm -hmm. uh, the junior college programs or the community college programs sure. have really advanced in the last 10 to 15 years. And 
and then uh, the youth baseball and, and high school baseball is, has been really, really good. So, yes, I agree with you. Uh, Mississippi is a baseball state. Talk about high school baseball and one of the most recent, at least for us, with the M Brave seeing Austin Riley play for his team in DeSoto Central out of South Haven, Mississippi, play at Trustmark Park for a state championship. And then not nearly two years later, he's there as a Mississippi Brave and, of course, now anchoring third base for the Atlanta Braves. And because of the opportunities that you get in this state, the world-class facilities, starting now at the youth level, it gives you that opportunity to have the really as much success as, as you can have. Yes, it's no question. Obviously, the uh, travel ball industry has just uh, blossomed and boomed into such a, a major industry. Sometimes uh, it, it, it gets uh, labeled uh, some negative things, and certainly some of the things that uh, go into it are uh, uh, hard to fathom, but the kids getting the, the experience of competing against great competition at a young age and, and getting to to go head-to-head -head and match up against teams from all over the, the region, all over the country, and uh, in some instances, teams from outside of the country. So uh, that is a, a great added bonus to uh, the development of baseball players these days. Uh, I still like to see those young kids play other sports. I, I don't necessarily agree with playing baseball year-round and playing 100, 120, 140 games a year for for those young kids, uh, I don't like that. I don't agree with that at all. But uh, getting to play 60 or 70 games over the course of a, a summer and a spring or a spring and a summer and a little bit into the fall, uh, no problem with that. But uh, sometimes they take it uh, to uh, a level that I'm not pleased to see. But uh, nonetheless, the uh, competitive level of baseball in Mississippi has always been good. But as you mentioned, the, the big three – uh, and the crowds they draw and the fan bases they have and the, the attention that's paid to, uh, the, to those guys in those programs and, and the, the development they get and the facilities they have, it's unmatched across the country. I mean, there's certainly enhanced facilities all over the country and all of the, the big uh, power conferences uh, have really improved their, their baseball, but I don't think any of them can match uh, the Southeastern Conference and, and what it has done and what it has come to be in the last 15, 20 years, 25 years. Talking Mississippi baseball with Barry Lyons, and I have to go back, of course, to your amateur days. You played here in Biloxi. You go on to play for the Statesman. You become uh, a player for Delta State. How did you end up at Delta State? And then talk about the career and getting a chance to play for Boo Ferris, who if you put uh, Mount Rushmore of, of Mississippi baseball figures, he's he's George Washington. Amen. I, I, I second that and agree with that 100%. Uh, I was blessed to uh, to uh, know uh, Boo Ferris or to meet him early on. Uh, he saw me play in the State American Legion tournament after my junior season in high school. Uh, that tournament was in Greenville, Mississippi about 20 or 30 minutes from uh, the campus of Delta State in Cleveland. And uh, that fall, he came to uh, a football practice here in Biloxi. Uh, I was told by one of the coaches, this gentleman wants to speak with you after practice. And 
And I started walking over, and immediately I recognized who it was. And uh, I was just in awe of, uh, of who Boo Ferris was and what a gentleman he was. And great respect. But I, I was offered a, a full football scholarship to Delta State. I had some other pending offers and from smaller colleges uh, to play football. And uh, I signed with Delta State with an agreement that I could play baseball in the spring and forego spring football practice. But after my senior year in high school, Coach Ferris uh, offered me what amounted to a full baseball scholarship so that I could go through the fall program. And he really stressed how important that was. And it was an easy decision for me. I, I love baseball. I was very passionate about baseball. Football, I enjoyed. And it was an opportunity to get my college education paid for, which all three of my older brothers were, were fortunate to do. And and uh, receive athletic scholarships to pay for their college education. So uh, I was uh, thankful to be able to do that. But once Boo offered me baseball and gave me the opportunity to play baseball year-round, uh, it was an easy decision for me and one that I'll always uh, be thankful for. You were drafted twice. And I had to go back and, and double-check on this. You were drafted first by the Tigers, 25th round back in 1981. That was after your junior year at Delta State. How tough of a decision was it to go back to school after being drafted in the 25th round? Well, I, I was <clears throat> excuse me, very disappointed in the season that I had as a junior. We had a bunch of rainouts, for one, and uh, our team didn't do as well. I got injured and missed about uh, 15 or 20 games, roughly a month of the season with a fractured hammock bone in my left hand. And uh, so things didn't go as well as I'd liked. I, I knew I was going to be drafted or I was told I was going to be drafted. But when I finally got the call that it was the 25th round uh, and the Detroit Tigers and the signing bonus that was offered me was not enticing in any way, shape or form. So I made a decision with no one's help. Uh, Coach Ferris never pressured me, never never uh, tried to convince me one way or another. He, he left it up to me, and the same with my dad and my family. It was just a gut feeling that I had that uh, I wanted to go back to finish what I had started at Delta State. For me personally, yeah, but also for Coach Ferris and all the teammates that I had those three years, we, we were right on the – on the verge of really doing something special uh, for the program. And uh, I was thankful I did. I, I had a long talk with Coach Ferris after I made that decision. And and uh, he was a father figure to me and, and really uh, encouraged me and inspired me to, to give it everything I had going into my senior year. And, and I did. And we had a great season. I uh, was Mississippi College Baseball Player of the Year, actually. Uh, which is the Ferris Award now. It, is, yeah. it wasn't then, but uh, and uh, we we went to the Division II College World Series, finished third in the nation. I was an All-American, so uh, God blessed me in a way there that gave me that other opportunity to uh, go back for my senior year, and then of course I finished my uh, uh, general business degree, and and uh, so uh, it was it was blessing all the way around, but. Uh, to uh, have played for Boo Ferris, it's, it's an honor and, and certainly a privilege and a blessing that I had. So the next year, 1982, you're drafted by, well, I'll, I'll call your third love, probably your first love, Julie. 
Second love, Biloxi Baseball, and third love, the New York Mets. Yes. Well, I, I, you know, at the time, the Jackson Mets, as you referenced earlier in our conversation, uh, uh, you know, when the, when I got called by the New York Mets and said I was drafted in the 15th round by the Mets, it was it was awesome. I, I, I didn't care what they offered me, and it wasn't much. But uh, I was going to ask, what was your signing bonus? My signing bonus was I was offered a thousand dollars, and I, I I played hardball with them, and I got it all the way up to fifteen hundred dollars. And uh, so it was. Uh, it didn't matter what uh, you know. When I first mentioned I had one semester of school left to go, and and you know really I was hoping to get more. And, and uh, Joe McElvain, who was then the uh, scouting director, who later became the general manager of the New York Mets, uh, a great guy and a friend to, uh, you know, till today, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, he called me back and said, son, do you want to play baseball? And I said, yes, sir. I said, I'll, I'll sign, uh, just send me the contract and, and I'll sign it and I'll, I'll, I'll get in my car and I'll go wherever it is you want me to, to go. And, uh, that's where it began. I had a great, uh, minor league career, uh, in, in the med system, some great, talented teammates and a lot of great friends, great memories, and certainly playing in Jackson, Mississippi uh, at the double-A level, winning the championship, uh, being the team leader and being the guy that, uh, that uh, you know, caught, played first, was a fourth or fifth hitter in the lineup. I had a, an incredible year and actually uh, drove in 108 runs, uh, which is still today, uh, I think, a, a record for certainly the Jackson Mets. I broke Darryl Strawberry's record. Uh, of 97, but uh, great memories, great times, uh, and certainly I knew when the Mets drafted me that the double-A franchise was in Jackson, so that was also uh, a, certainly an added bonus to, to being drafted by the Mets. You had 149 hits in double-A. You don't see that now because if you get up to 50 hits – and they move you up now. You, you didn't necessarily spend a lot of time at a certain level as you did back in the 80s. No, it, it's a different uh, different system nowadays, I guess. You know, so many of these players are coming out of advanced college programs, and, and so many have, uh, with the travel ball and the summer leagues and everything, they're, they're a little more advanced, Not, to, but... Uh, Back then, you had to earn it. Not that these guys don't earn it, uh, you know, these days, but uh, you had to pay your dues more so than you do nowadays. There, there's guys that are talented enough that uh, uh, certainly warrant consideration at the double A, triple A level coming out of college. But they, and in my day, they would start them back in A ball and, and and let them progress, let them get the thousand plus at bats that. They, they determine is, is, a, is a fair number that uh, you need to, to, to have to, to get the data, to get the, uh, you know, the consistency and find out what this guy can do. Uh, anybody can get hot and hit any pitching for a short period of time, but what you're going to do over a, a two- or three-year period and how you're going to handle all the highs and lows that come with it are what goes into the decision to, to bring you to the big leagues. It's more than – talent obviously uh there's so many variables in play and certainly more so now with all the 
the analytics and all the technology they have, they can measure just about anything. But you can't measure a guy's heart. You can't measure a guy's passion for the game. And you can't measure a guy's courage to, to step up and come through when the situations are the biggest. And certainly being on a winning championship organization like I was, uh, we played for championships at every level. Uh, a lot of players, a lot of programs, a lot of organizations now, it's all about developing the player, develop the player, develop the player. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you got to develop them to be a championship player. Anybody can put up numbers. It's what you do when the game's on the line, when when the season's coming down to, you know, a, a, a big game or a big moment. Uh, the guys that can come through in those times are, are the guys that, that separates themselves. And, and makes a name for themselves. And that year in Jackson, I had, uh, you know, guys used to kid me a little bit. I mean, it seemed like every time there was a guy on base, I got a base hit. And then it wasn't always a, a gapper or a double or a home run. What you don't see now is guys willing to let the ball get deep, jam, jam shot, and bloop one over the first baseman. That drives in two, two guys from second and third, just the same as the, as a line drive into the gap, mm-hmm. and and when you get two strikes, you gotta you gotta shorten up, uh, whether it's physically, or mentally, or both, and and that's one of the things uh, that uh, concern me about the game today. They're too comfortable striking out, mm-hmm. and and I don't like that. And yeah, guys throw harder. So what? Uh, I don't buy that argument that you know the velocity is the is the culprit. No, it's guys not trying to put the ball in play, being satisfied with taking three huge rips at it, and trying to hit the ball over the fence and, and instead of trying to play the game the way it was designed to play. But everything in life, I've heard the other arguments, and I'm going to be an old school guy, and I'm going to. I'm going to, uh, you know, state my beliefs about it, but I'm also open to uh, whatever it is that, uh, you know, makes makes teams successful and and uh, makes players successful in, in achieving their goals of becoming big league ball players. So you make your major league debut. We're talking to Barry Lyons here on the Big Show podcast, April nineteenth of nineteen eighty six. Do you remember what team you're Obviously, you do remember you were playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Yes. But you called up. And, of course, in hindsight, we know what happened with the 1986 Mets. But you get called up in the spring of arguably one of the biggest seasons in the history of the New York Mets. What's going through your mind when you get that call up? And what was the circumstances around it? Well, I, did, I made the team uh, out of spring training after an, an MVP season at Jackson in 1985. And matter of fact, we uh, won the first three games of a best-of-seven series for the Texas League Championship. And before game four in Jackson, uh, I had family coming up. I was all excited. We were up 3-0 on El Paso. We were the Brewers' uh, AA affiliate as, at the time. They they killed everybody. They had a, a stacked lineup, and we handled them pretty good uh, the one time we played them during the regular season. But... Anyway, I got a call late on Sunday night, a day off, a travel day. said, you're going to AAA tomorrow morning. And I'm like, no, we're going to win the AA championship. I've been here all year in my home state. i got family coming. I'm like, no, I'm not. And, you know, obviously I was a little naive in in thinking that I had any say-so in that. But 
it wasn't long after that that they called me back and uh, said, uh, we got a flight for you. You're going to Columbus, wow. Ohio, playing for AAA Tidewater against the Columbus Clippers, who are the New York Yankees affiliate. And, of course, it proved uh, beneficial to me. I went up there, and we won three straight, and I was, got to you know be a key contributor in the AAA championship uh, that same year. So, anyway, fast forward, 86 spring training. Uh, I'm, I'm in camp uh, on the major league roster based on my uh, great season the year before and great two seasons uh, in Lynchburg the year before that. But uh, uh, the, the competition was uh, John Gibbons, a former number one uh, pick of the uh, New York Mets. Uh, Ed Hearn, uh, a solid catcher who played for a couple of different organizations. Greg Olson, who later became Atlanta Braves catcher in the World Series in 94 or 5. Uh, and then Phil Lombardi, who was a, a, an outstanding catcher, came over from the Yankees organization. So there was a lot of talent there. And one by one, those guys got sent out. In the last day, last few days of spring training, I looked up. I'm the only backup catcher left. Gary Carter's the guy, obviously. And no one actually told me I was going to make the team. I just... By osmosis, I was the last guy standing, and uh, the 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 beautiful beautiful thing about that is the the last spring training game was going to be an exhibition game in Jackson against the Jackson Mets, wow. and, and man, God works in some just amazingly wonderful wow. ways, and so the game I missed in the 1985 season uh, for the championship of the Texas League by having been called up to AAA to play in their championship series. Well, God rewarded me to make my major league debut in the ballpark in Jackson, Mississippi, wow. in front of just hundreds of people from the coast that came up and people from Jackson area that watched me play and friends and family. And then, of course, people from North Mississippi and the Delta State fans and, and family and friends from there. So uh, it was... Uh, Quite a blessing and, and quite an amazing uh, journey for me. And so I was there for the first month uh, of the season, got two starts, and the start you're referencing was uh, April 19, 1986. I caught Doc Gooden. Uh, he had a complete game victory. I think we gave up one run early in the game, and, and uh, I had an RBI ground out in the game, uh, but it was 0 for 3. And uh, uh, I'll never forget that day, and Kevin Mitchell and I made our, our rookie debut in the same game. And uh, Of course, Kevin went on to a great uh, career, more so with the San Francisco Giants, but uh, uh, left his mark uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, as a Jackson Met as well. But uh, great memories, but no, I, was, I made the team out of spring training, was sent back uh, in the uh, middle of May. Uh, to get some at-bats, to get some playing time, because I'd only had two starts in the first five or six weeks of the season. We were in first place. Ed Hearn came up, and I went back to Tidewater, did well, uh, played for a month, hit 300, did everything they asked me to do, and uh, Ed Hearn got several more opportunities than I did when, when I was up in New York, and he made the most of it. He played well. He got some, some key hits and caught well, and uh, so – I did come back uh, up in, in June for a three-week stint when Howard Johnson suffered a, a fracture in his hand. and But I was primarily a, a pinch hitter. I was third catcher. 
Uh, got a couple of pinch hits appearances. Actually got intentionally walked before I ever got a major league hit. <laughs> and uh, scored uh, on Tim Tuffle's walk-off grand slam. So that's my one on-field highlight that uh, that, I, that I can be seen on the 86 uh, video, I guess you could say. But uh, uh, after that, uh, I went back to Tidewater and unfortunately suffered a season-ending season broken right forearm uh, on August 3rd of 1986 and uh, that was a, 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 an unfortunate situation certainly an unfortunate break for me and uh, cost me uh, being in uniform for a World Series but uh, nonetheless it was uh, a, a great season made my major league debut in Jackson Mississippi. That's incredible and you're, you're exactly right it, it, it Lord works in mysterious ways, and, and for that to happen, I mean, that's storybook stuff. You, you finish your career 1991 playing for the California Angels. You play with the Dodgers. Uh, you play with the California Angels. You know, you, you talked to – you had a great career. You know, I, something I've never even asked you out loud to you before, but, you know, you, you came up with the Mets – have you ever thought back of what, what would have happened if the Mets, and of course this is a different day and age, but if you had been traded to another team and had that opportunity to be a number one guy straight out of the out of the shoot, what might have happened? And of course you can get into weird places when you go back and think what if, but you, know, you backed up one of the best catchers there ever has been in Gary Carter. Yeah, well, Gary was certainly a roadblock for me in my career and but I, I love being a member of the New York Mets. I loved being. I loved all my teammates. We had an amazing time. We had a great team and great players, and uh, in a great city at a great time to be a New York Met. There was no better era of New York Met baseball in the history of New York Mets, and certainly being a part of that was great. In '87, after the '86 season, Ed Hearn was traded for David Cohn, mm -hmm. and that very well could have been me. Uh, I often thought about being traded and getting a chance, especially in the American League, uh, where I could catch, I could play first, I could DH, which I did in my very final season as a, as a Chicago White Sox team uh, player. But, uh, you know, I, I was content where I was, uh, even though I didn't get to play. I, I loved everything about being a New York Met at that time. Uh, uh, the, the spotlight shone very brightly on, on our team for the stars that we had, the Strawberry Goodens, Gary Carter, you mentioned Keith Hernandez, uh, David Cohn, uh, you go on, Ron Darling, Bob Ojeda, Sid Fernandez, Roger McDowell, Jesse Orozco, Randy Myers, uh, we had Ray Knight, Howard Johnson. I mean, all these guys are, are big-time major league players and had great careers, and I was a teammate of all of those guys and more. And, uh, you know, we, we only won one World Series in 86. 88, we lost in heartbreaking fashion in the, North, in the uh, National League Championship Series to the Dodgers. Uh, but the other four years that I was in New York with the Mets, we, we finished second place to the Cubs one year, to the Cardinals one year, uh, or two years, and, and the Cubs another year. But... Uh, uh, you know, back then we didn't have uh, uh, wild cards or, or, or 
uh, four divisions. It was uh, just an Eastern division and a Western division, and you had to win the division to make to the postseason. So only two teams would go, and it was uh, a lot tougher than it has been the last uh, 20, 25 years with the wild card. Not that it's easy to win a World Series. It's not, but uh, – our team had enough talent and, and enough pitching to, to win many World Series. And if they had a wild card in those years we finished second, I would have taken our pitching staff and our chances against any other team in a three-game series or a five-game series or a seven-game series. But unfortunately, uh, we didn't get in the postseason because only the division winners did back then. And that was a, a, a a tough thing to, to swallow because we had great teams. We won 100 games one year and didn't even make the postseason. And uh, that's that's crazy. And I have to ask you because, as you know, and you still hold it against me, I grew up a Cardinals fan. I, even though my loyalty lies with the Atlanta Braves, it was April 20th, 1987. Tony Pena, who was the catcher for the Cardinals then, had actually broken his thumb. But... In that ball game, a rookie catcher by the name of Barry Lyons, you were still considered a rookie in 87 with the number of games. Right. You did something that Cardinal fans uh, hated you for. They did, and, and they still do. Uh, but uh, I became infamous with the St. Louis Cardinals fans because on Easter Sunday, uh, 1987, I was a starting catcher for the for the Mets, a day game uh, after a night game. So Carter had one of his very rare days off. Uh, usually a night game, a day game after a night game on the weekend was my best opportunity to play during those, during those years. And uh, I was excited. In the first inning, uh, uh, Jack Clark hit a foul pop over towards the Cardinals' dugout, and I be began chasing after it, racing towards the Cardinals' dugout. And back then, there was no railing. There was no warning track. There was no dirt. It was just There was just that carpet. extremely hot carpet. That carpet. That, Second Bush Stadium. That, that rolled down the, the whole steps of the whole length of the dugout was just steps. And I proceeded to chase after the foul pop. And unfortunately, I ran out of space. I, I went to to slide thinking I was close to the dugout when in fact I was airborne in the dugout and unfortunately John Tudor uh, was the recipient of my body coming hurling into the bottom of the Cardinal dugout and I landed on his uh, I think it was uh, right leg I guess or uh, and broke his shin bone or broke his leg and below the knee and uh, immediately became uh, public enemy number one in St. Louis thankfully it was getaway day but uh, as the game ended, I don't even know who won the game that day, but I was sitting on the dugout on the visitor side, third base, packing up my catcher's gear, and I looked up on the big video board, and it there it said, uh, Cardinals starting pitcher John Tudor suffered a broken leg when Mets catcher Barry Lyons crashed into him back in the second inning or first inning of today's game. Thankfully, they didn't put that up earlier because they didn't know Tudor had a broken leg until after the game. And uh, the next day, uh, we, we flew to Pittsburgh after that, and, and I began getting phone calls from radio stations in St. Louis uh, <laughs> about 5 o'clock in the morning that next day. And, uh, uh, 
you know, I'd gotten to know John that spring because in St. Petersburg, Florida, the Mets and Cardinals shared uh, Al Lang Stadium mm-hmm. uh, for our spring training games. And Bob Ojeda and I lived in the same condo building. And Bob and uh, uh, John were teammates with the Red Sox. And so uh, John lived close by in another condo around the beach. Uh, and so uh, the three of us would go out to dinner several times over the course of spring training and uh, actually became friends with John and to, uh, you know, I've never seen the replay. The only video, only replay that I've ever seen is from above. And you can see me going into the dugout, but I've never seen a video of how and what exactly happened down at the bottom of the dugout. All I know is uh, the Cardinals players kind of helped me up and Barry, you all right? You all right? And I went on back and I turned, I got back out to home plate and I turned back and look and two of the Cardinals guys had John Tudor on under each arm and uh, they were walking him back to the clubhouse and uh, uh, it was uh, unfortunate certainly and certainly not now, intentional. But uh, now, I got to ask you because in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Tommy Herr says, I was on the top step yelling, no play, no play. He, Lyons, was coming full tilt. Everybody was yelling him to stop. Is that true or false? Well, if he said it, that's the first I've heard of that. But, no, I'm sure they were because I was, you know, going full steam ahead and not knowing where I was on the field. And the ball, well, Whitey Herzog's quote the next day was even better. Uh his quote was, uh, it was Easter Sunday. He said, Lions must have thought he was uh, the Easter bunny because <laughs> the ball landed two rows back behind in the stands behind the dugout. So I never had no shot at it. But, you know, and then other people accused, players accused me of being on amphetamines or something and just out of my mind raging crazy, you know, <laughs> which was certainly not the case either. But so a lot of, a lot of, uh, Heartache, uh, I guess, came from that. My mom even wrote to John Tudor and telling her her little boy is sorry and that he would never intentionally hurt anyone, and uh, that got a little airplay as well. But uh, my my sweet mom, I I love her and miss her. But she was, her and and my dad were my biggest fans and uh, and my brothers as well. But uh, that's a a memory that still lingers. And the the headline... uh, at the end of the season, we went in there three games back with three to play, and uh, or four games back with three to play. No, no, three games back with three to play, and, and we got there on a Thursday night, and the Cardinals were playing the Expos, and they beat the Expos, so that made it, you know, we, were, we couldn't catch them. And so I got to play Friday and Saturday night in St. Louis, and Friday night John Tudor came back. And I proceeded to go two for four off a of Tudor with two RBIs. <laughs> wow. And uh, the, the the next day, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch headline said, Lions hurts cards, but injures no one. Wow. And uh, so that was uh, the, the final chapter of, of, a, of, of really my first full year in the big leagues. And one last tidbit of information on that. The half inning after I broke John Tudor's leg, I hit a pop-up down the right field line off Greg Matthews, another oh. Cardinal lefty, for my first major league hit. How so I that? was on first base, and and uh, Jack Clark uh, 
you know, I said, man, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do that, you know, on purpose. And he said, don't worry about it, Barry. We know that, and, you know, and basically kind of consoled me a little bit. And uh, I'll always remember that little little brief conversation with Jack. And uh, it kind of eased my mind a little bit. There we go. Check, check. We bookend this podcast with the Barry Lyons, team ambassador for the Biloxi Shuckers, former New York Met, talking about the state of Mississippi. And now we finish up this podcast, actually, after a no-hitter was thrown against the Braves on Saturday night. But this state of Mississippi is so blessed with so many great former baseball players. Had a chance, I was telling you uh, earlier, that you know I had a chance to go back and find a lot of the great African-American ball players that came through the state of Mississippi, those that go back to the... 40s, 50s, 60s, when they played in the Negro Leagues. And, of course, you go all the way to the 80s, those great Jackson State teams where you saw Oil Cam Boyd and Dave Clark and all those great teams there, Coach Braddy at Jackson State. But this this state has so much to be thankful for when it comes to baseball and especially those guys that go back to, to the Negro Leagues. Well, it does, uh, Chris, and certainly with cool Papa Bell being the, the forerunner, I guess, maybe, of uh, Mississippi baseball legends that – played in the Negro Leagues, but uh, certainly a wealth of talent that has come through this state and just uh, blessed and honored to be one of those that uh, made it to the big leagues uh, from Mississippi or having played college baseball in Mississippi. And uh, it's a a long list and a legacy that uh, I'm proud to be a part of. And Dave Boo Ferris, also one of the early legends and then just a, a long time uh, amazing coach at Delta State who I was very fortunate to play for and being mentored by and and uh, being a, a son in some respects to him uh, throughout uh, his life and my life so very fortunate in that regard but uh, the uh, the state of Mississippi and, and baseball as a whole has uh, really just blossomed uh, hugely over the last 20 25 years or so college baseball is at an all-time high not only in the talent and in the wins and losses but also in the attendance that uh, we're getting across the board at all the college baseball levels and the community college level and certainly here with the Mississippi Braves and Biloxi Shuckers I'm thankful to be connected to both of these organizations and and uh, proud of each organization and having played as a Jackson Met in the, in Jackson and the Braves representing uh, the capital city, even though they're over in Pearl, they're Metro Jackson, they're Central Mississippi, and all of Mississippi uh, uh, supports uh, the Mississippi Braves and all of South Mississippi and the local region here supporting us here at Biloxi. And uh, we're just thankful that we get a chance to get together. Now this year, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about uh, how many times the Mississippi Braves and the Biloxi Shuckers play against each other this year. So I'm hoping to get up to Trustmark Park and visit with you there as well sometime this summer. But uh, baseball uh, in Mississippi is at an all-time high, no question about it. And we go through this past year and a half, and you think about the state of Mississippi and – Sometimes the economic downfalls, the rankings that sometimes the state is, and you wonder when Major League Baseball uh, did a a takeover of Minor League Baseball, you had the pandemic year, the two teams, there was 42 teams that lost their franchises. The two teams in the state of Mississippi are are stronger than ever 
yes. in, in Pearl and in uh, Biloxi. And I think that stands and, and, and should be a, a beacon of hope for a lot of people about the future of professional baseball in this state that Major League Baseball eliminates 42 teams. The two teams in the state of Mississippi are in 10-year agreements with their Major League teams. That's awesome. That 10-year agreement, that, that 10-year security blanket, if you will, is uh, a blessing that uh, is yet to be really uh, uh, absorbed. But certainly uh, it's encouraging for uh, for both organizations and both fan bases and both communities that uh, – you know, we'll be here for the long run, and and uh, the the people here on the coast have been very excited. I've been to high school games, out to the youth uh, complexes, watching uh, youth baseball, and speaking in the community. And everywhere I've gone in the last six weeks to two months, the people have been very excited about getting back out here to MGM Park, getting back out here to enjoy the game day experience that the Shuckers organization offers to our fans. It's really a fun time. Uh, What a great night last night. Uh, Had the opportunity to uh, visit with uh, a birthday group on the third base uh, 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 box area over on uh, the party deck on third base. And then another uh, group from Hattiesburg, also uh, a former Mississippi Major League Baseball uh, veteran Bobby Myrick unfortunately passed away nine years ago, but his son Joel, who is a golf pro and a good friend of mine, he brought down his youth baseball team from Hattiesburg last night. They had a group of about 30 or 35 people in all, and so I had the chance to visit with uh, both groups and, and to see the excitement on these kids' faces and to 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 see all of the fans that were here last night really enjoying himself that's that's what it's all about that's what motivated me to work all this time to help bring baseball to the gulf coast and certainly i'm proud that uh we're uh we're back in action and and people are at the ballpark and people are enjoying themselves watching minor league baseball again i want to finish it up in telling a story and i think that is uh, of someone who i uh, i i did research on and, and actually when we uh, made this post back in February, his family uh, reached out to us on Facebook and shared it and they thought it was the uh, the best thing that's happened with their grandfather and with their, their relative. His name is Marshall Bridges, nicknamed the Sheriff. He pitched for the Cardinals, Reds, Yankees, and Senators from 1959 to 1964. Six seasons in the Negro Leagues prior to that. He was a hard-throwing lefty who finished 8-4, 3.14 ERA in 52 games, 18 saves for the 1962 World Series champion New York Yankees. After his playing career, he came back to Jackson, Mississippi and worked as a handyman for the state capitol building in Jackson, and that was until he passed away of cancer in 1990 at the age of 59. That's a, that's a Mississippi story. Well, Mississippi uh, is known for coming home and uh, uh, our signage out in left field, visit Mississippi, good times are close by. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of young, talented people have to leave the state to, to, to find successful careers, but all of them at some point in their lives find a time to come back home. And I certainly was one of those that was gone for 25 years, roughly, playing baseball, pursuing my dreams, uh, you know, being uh, blessed to, uh, to to play this game, broadcast this game, manage this game, and to be a part of baseball all my life. 
but uh, the, the the desire and, and the passion to come back home and to 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 help bring minor league baseball to my hometown certainly was overwhelming and uh, consumed my life for about 20 years. And uh, the fruits of that are here every day when I get to come to this ballpark and see people enjoying this great game, see scouts and managers and coaches and broadcasters that come in, uh, you know, doing their job that I knew from years gone by and to, to see the fans and, and the smiles on their faces and, and the kids being excited about being at the ballpark. There's nothing better than that. But Mississippi has a history of people coming home to their hometowns, coming home to bring back uh, the experiences that they've enjoyed in their lives and the successes they've enjoyed and, 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 and coming home. It's, it's what Mississippi is. People love Mississippi. Uh, I've always been a, a proponent of Mississippi and Biloxi and the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Everywhere I've ever been, I've been fortunate to play baseball in just about every state in the United States, some of the Latin countries, some of the Latin islands, uh, I've been blessed to play this game in Canada and Mexico and everywhere I've gone. I've always uh, been proud to see Biloxi, Mississippi as my hometown listed on that roster. And uh, I've always tried to represent our hometown and our city and our state uh, to the best of my ability. And I'm very proud to be a Mississippian. Barry, thanks for taking uh, the near 40 minutes to talk Mississippi baseball in your career uh, you're one of the good ones out there and a great representative of baseball in the state of Mississippi. This has been fun. Thank you, Chris, and it's been an honor to be with you, buddy. I love you, and I, I'm proud of you, and I just wish you the best. Appreciate it. That'll wrap things up for this edition of the Big Show Podcast. Don't forget, you can follow the Braves online at MississippiBraves.com. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Braves. I am at Harris 731 Barry doesn't have a Twitter account, but you can uh, you can find him where the wind blows down here in Biloxi, Mississippi. That'll wrap things up. We'll uh, talk to you later. And we say so long from this podcast episode being recorded here in Biloxi, Mississippi.